From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. I'm Ben, you are you, that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. I want to check in with everybody. We're, we're at the end of the week today. It's Friday. Any big plans for the uh, weekend? It's almost end of the month, too, already. Mm-hmm. Almost into February. Mm-hmm. I feel like this month has achieved some weird form of time control. Like it's extended out in my mind to feel like a much longer period of time than it's actually been. Yeah, we've been here a very long time because at the beginning of the month, of course, I, like millions of other Americans, uh, play Bone Thugs and Harmony first of the month just to get motivated. And it feels like it's been years since I've done that. January has been very long. (laughs) I was going to say it feels like it just started. I miss my Uncle Charles, (laughs) y'all. (laughs) <laughs> one day, one day, maybe we can uh, we can finally finish that Chick Fil A based parody song we wrote uh, about using the melody of Bone Thugs and Harmony. The reason we're talking about uh, time and and plans for the weekend and stuff is because you know uh, we've all been traveling more. We'll be traveling more over this year, um, especially as a show. And today's episode is about someone who who went on their own journey, a person named Elisa Lamb. On February 1st, 2013, a 21-year-old Canadian college student named Elisa Lamb vanished while staying at the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Now, this is in the Skid Row area of Los Angeles, which has a reputation for being a bit dangerous, um, seedy, if you will. Lots of drugs, crime in this area. Um, that's just something to take note of. She was traveling alone via Amtrak and uh, she was taking the bus a lot. And she called this her, quote, West Coast tour. And uh, unfortunately, when this young woman went missing, the cops, the police officers had no leads, the people who were investigating. That is with the exception of a small video, a short snippet of video that they released to the public. And this is a video of Elisa Lamb in an elevator. May I describe it? Yes, please. In this video uh, released by the LAPD, which uh, at this point, the most popular posting, possibly the only one on YouTube, has a whopping 17,449,019 views. The video is uh, a little under four minutes, and it shows this young woman wearing a red hoodie and a black skirt, walking into an elevator and proceeding to press all of the buttons for the floors in the middle of the uh, the dial of the panel in the elevator and then sort of standing back against the back of the elevator and waiting for something. Uh, we don't quite know what, but the doors to the elevator never close. And this seems to disturb Ms. Lamb and she kind of 
acts as though she's hiding in a corner, but it's, it's not a real sense of eminent fear of something that she sees. It's more of preparing for something to come almost. She huddles back against the back corner of the elevator and then proceeds to kind of peek out of the elevator doors, which are still not closing. It's been about 25, 30 seconds at this point. She makes several very wide steps from inside the elevator out into the hall and then back, repeating these movements almost as if doing some sort of ritual. It's very it's a very unsettling video to watch, honestly, and I recommend you guys uh, search it out and check it out for yourself, even now, before proceeding with the uh, episode. Exactly, and we'll have more information about the about the elevator video a uh, little later in the show. Right now, we're in still in 2013, several weeks later, the public has seen the video. It's out there in the world. And after some complaints about water pressure on February 19th, 2013, a hotel maintenance employee named Santiago Lopez hiked a set of stairs to the roof and then climbed a ladder to reach one of four 10-foot-tall water tanks. He noticed that the hatch on one of these tanks was open, and that is where he discovered Elisa Lamb, or at least her corpse floating inside the tank, face up. She was nude, but authorities for the record ruled out evidence of sexual assault. And this should be the closure for a tragic but all too common death by drowning. These occur every every year in the U.S. and abroad. But instead, it became the beginning of a mystery. And here we are almost four years after the incident with almost no solid answers so what happened to Elisa Lamb? We're going to explore the numerous theories surrounding, uh, surrounding the night of her disappearance and what happened after the discovery of her remains. So let's take a minute to explore the life of Elisa Lamb. Here's what we know. Here are the facts. Um, her parents immigrated from Hong Kong to open a restaurant in Burnaby near Vancouver, British Columbia. And she was a student at the University of British Columbia. And in January of 2013, she went on a solo trip to California, which as we mentioned, she referred to as her West Coast tour mm -hmm. um, and planned uh, stops in San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz and San Francisco. Um, interviews and posts from Elisa's Tumblr blog confirm that she had difficulties struggling with serious depression uh, that may well have escalated into a uh, bipolar disorder. So as we mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago earlier, the local law enforcement released a video of Elisa Lamb in the hotel elevator on the night of her disappearance, which also seems to be around the time of her uh, you know, the night of her death or within several hours. Uh, in the video, as Noel pointed out, she appears to be hiding from an unknown entity. One thing that you'll notice are these wild, erratic movements. Body language experts, uh, this is an important note, uh, body language experts believe this may be a, a manic period and it may be manifesting in very strong but very fleeting and temporary emotions. There are times in the video where she's smiling. There are times when she's hiding. And one thing that we also noticed, I think when we watched it, is that the door doesn't seem to close. At least not while she's anywhere near the elevator. Right, right. And the fact that she pushes that whole row of buttons, mm -hmm. which is not like, I mean, it, the whole thing, the reason it gave me the creeps 
is the fact that the elevator doors don't open and she appears to be, you know, I, I could see it being described as manic moves, but they don't, it's not like she's having some sort of fit or an attack of some sort. No, she feels like, very in control. It feels yeah. very deliberate, the things that she's doing, yeah. the way she steps out of the elevator and then back in and then out of the elevator again and back in. And then she kind of huddles against the back wall of the elevator, sort of standing very still and upright. In the corner by the buttons. In the yeah. corner by the buttons. And like it's as though she's expecting someone or as though she senses something, you know, the, there. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really... I'm not one to go for that kind of stuff. A lot of times watching the video gave me a bit of a shiver. Yeah, especially for me, the body language with the hands. There's a part of the video where she exits and she's standing directly outside into the left of the door. So she's still visible in profile and she just does a strange thing, pivoting her wrist and moving her hands and some sort of... It's a very strange motion. Almost like a tut. They call that. I don't know if you watch that yeah, show. Yeah, the finger tutting. The, yeah. That's <laughs> it. That really, I'm, I'm not joking. It has that almost yeah. like sense of trying to complete the motions of a ritual of some sort. Like, yeah. It's, it's very, it's like very a, interesting. It looks calculated and purposeful and it's intricate. That's a very good point. And that is one of the um, linchpins of the various theories surrounding the death of Elisa Lamb before we – get into those, I do think it is necessary for us to have one disclaimer, which is that we're pers- we're pursuing this and exploring this in the utmost uh, respectful manner, right? In a manner of uh, extreme respect because we know that sometimes when things like this get out on the internet, people can be very dehumanizing about it, you know? And people have had their lives ruined when they become memes because they have a dumb picture from their high school yearbook, right? Hopefully, not none of us are speaking from experience or have actually experienced that. But this is this is a very serious thing. This is a human being's life, and we can't forget that. This is a person that had family and loved ones, and if you follow her social media presence and look, you know, at some of the stuff that is out there, there is a lot of outpouring of love for her family and from her friends. And we want to keep all of that in mind in how we explore the various theories um, behind this tragic death. And we will explore those theories in just a moment after a word from our sponsors. Now, in the days and years after Elisa Lamb's death, numerous theories have sprung up from all corners of the internet. Uh, Usually these are uh, fascinating, Noel, right? Um, but Matt, you, know, you, you own your words, my friend. Some, I, I respect and appreciate everything about you. Sometimes are relatively mundane. Others are a bit out there. Let's let's call them extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's start off with the least unusual. What if Elisa Lam, in the grip of a bipolar episode, climbed the water tower herself, accessed uh, the roof and the stairs and opened the hatch and disrobed and dropped inside. Okay, so this is a possibility. This would probably be Occam's razor, perhaps. This would be where you'd start with... um, Yeah, this is the one that I would probably start with if I was an investigator. Mm -hmm. 
and if only just to rule it out. So we know that it's possible to access the roof as, uh, who was it? Mr. Lopez Mm -hmm. mentioned by getting up to the top floor, then climbing the stairs, opening a door that has an alarm on it. And then you're on the roof and you can gain access to the water tanks. It's a little convoluted to get there. We, we have some pictures here where you can look at it. Um, and you can find them online too. If you wish, look at the Cecil hotel roof. Um, but we also know from a video that was posted uh, by someone online who tried to retrace the the steps of Elisa Lam. And this person went through a, the ho- a hotel room at the Cecil Hotel, got to one of the top floors, not the very top one where you can access the roof through the stairs, but you can access a fire escape by climbing a ladder and then you can get to the roof that way. And then from there, you can climb another ladder that gets you up to this smaller tower that's above where the water tanks are. And it is very much possible that that is one way Elisa Lam did access these water tanks. The hatch itself, the way you get into one of these water tanks is about 16 inches large. And um, I have not seen anyone. I don't know if you guys have seen anyone like actually opening one of these things. I haven't seen video of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least I'm not aware of it. Now, all four tanks are four by eight feet. That's 1.2 by 2.4 meters. These cylinders are propped up on these fairly large concrete blocks. Which is why Lopez describes it as a 10-foot tank. Exactly. And there's no fixed access to them. You can't just climb up a ladder that's attached to one of these tanks to get into it. That's why it's thought that perhaps she went up around the ladder on the other side. Um, And again, they're protected by those heavy lids. There is a Reddit post on Unresolved Mysteries, uh, Ben, that you and I definitely looked at. And on here, someone goes through and starts looking at the physics of what this hatch would be. Because it's this is something you can't find online anywhere through the official sources. And it appears it would be around 30 pounds to 50 pounds heavy, uh, depending on what gauge of steel it's made out of. Which is fairly heavy, if you think about that, trying to lift that up. But not impossible to lift. Certainly not impossible. And... While Lam was a diminutive person, it's not automatic proof that she couldn't lift the hatch. The big question is whether the hatch was locked that Mm -hmm. night, right? And whether there was uh, some way to access the the roof as a customer or guest of the hotel. And that leads us to the second theory, which is a bit darker. What if Elisa Lam was abducted? And murdered. This would explain why she seemed to be behaving erratically in the video. Uh, maybe there was someone actually following her that she was trying to get away from. I find that a little difficult, given you know that she didn't run; that she was just kind of hanging out in this elevator, right. looking around, but not really making any efforts to escape anything immediately threatening her. But let's continue. Um, So uh, there's no proof that she wasn't murdered. Let's get that out of the way for sure. She made blog posts while she was uh, staying at this hotel um, talking about having trouble with, quote, unquote, creepers. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, you know, you can interpret that any number of ways, whether or not that was someone that was actually 
following her around, a single individual that she identified, or whether it was just, like you said, it was in a bad, bad neighborhood. Bad cat calls. Yeah, that kind of stuff. More, more, jerks. more general yeah. unpleasantness. Um, the blog was updated several times after her death, uh, which is, is very unusual. One of the images that's on there is a, um, a, a like a graphic image of a, of a light bulb um, hanging from a, a string against a kind of a drab wall backdrop, and inside the light bulb is um, kind of snowy scene with a with a little shack and a tree. Um, I found that a little unsettling myself. Um, but uh, Ben, you mentioned you feel like this could have been a series of scheduled posts perhaps. Right. People can do, you know, the internet has a weird approach to time. You can write a blog post and schedule it for years in the future, technically. But still, if you look at – what was it, Noel? You did the uh, legwork on this too. You you saw the most recent post was – uh, definitely like the same year, but months later. Yeah. Right? So it's, then it becomes a question of when, when that post was actually written or scheduled to publish, or if there was someone else, maybe a, a friend or uh, a relative or s- another unknown person who had access to it. The biggest signpost to, to this, like if she had a murderer, who was a war, an employee at the hotel, then that would explain why they were able to get up there. The doors and the stairs that access the hotel's roof are locked, with only staff having the passcode and keys, and any attempt to force them would have, in theory, triggered an alarm. For the record, in later legal dealings between the hotel staff and Lamb's parents' lawsuits, uh, the staff stated that they did not hear any alarm on the night of Lamb's disappearance and, and probable death. And something to think about here is if she did access the roof through some other means, through a fire escape or something, mm-hmm. it would, in my mind, if she was attacked by someone not on the roof mm-hmm. and then taken to the roof, that would be extremely difficult to do without having access to the door. That has an alarm on it. Yes. Yeah, that's a very good point. And the lack of evidence of sexual assault makes some of that a bit difficult to believe for me. I mean, if you're going to take a young lady, you know, up to the roof like that, it seems like you would have nefarious intent unless it was some sort of serial killer that whose MO did not include any kind of sexual assault. Right, right. And if it was – a male serial killer, male serial killers are typically – typically have some sort of aspect of that with them, right? Uh, and you know a serial killer wouldn't be too out of the ordinary at the Cecil Hotel. That's true. It has a history of uh, – was it Ramirez? Richard Ramirez stayed Ooh. there for a little while. The Not the original Night Stalker but the Night Stalker. Yes, Richard Ramirez, the more mainstream Night Stalker along with his copycat – Jack Unterweger uh, lived at the ho- at the Cecil Hotel while they committed their crimes. This goes into one of the stranger theories, the idea, and this is for people who believe in things like ghosts or possession of sorts. The Cecil Hotel has a very troubling history, similar to the Overlook Hotel and The Shining. It seems to be uh, the 
by some dark lottery of coincidence, it is a place where a lot of bad things have happened. Uh, Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia, was supposedly uh, staying at the Cecil before she was murdered in 1947. Goldie Osgood, known as the Pigeon Lady of Pershing Square, was raped and murdered in her hotel room there in 64. And as we said, serial killers stayed there while they were active. Uh, the hotel has also been the location of multiple, many suicides, including, and this is a very strange one, one woman who committed suicide by jumping out of a window off the ledge and then killed a completely innocent person who just happened to be walking by. That is the – this is a family show, so I'll say that is the crappiest day ever. Yeah. It's almost as though if there were some sort of malignant energy seeping out from this place, this is almost an example of it reaching out into the greater world around it and, and you know, having an effect. You know, that's, that's true. Yeah. It's possible. Or you take the other side and if I embody Jonathan Strickland for a moment, you just say, well, maybe it could just be an area where this hotel is located. Right. That's And Jonathan Strickland is a uh, is friend of the show, uh, host of podcast Tech Stuff, and also will make occasional appearances here. Keep your eyes peeled. Oh, and, he's also our complaint department. So if you yes. have any complaints, <laughs> please send them directly to jonathan.strickland at howstuffworks.com. But yeah, that is a good point. Is it just simply that it is a budget hotel in a bad area? I mean, it's possible, mm. but. Do you believe that there can be places with bad or good energy? It's an interesting question because uh, many times people would dismiss that as some sort of quote-unquote hippy-dippy thing. However, we do have we, – we did find in an earlier episode on ghosts that there's compelling evidence that human beings are sensitive to certain frequencies and energies that we do not consciously interpret. You know, if someone there, – there are frequencies that can make you hallucinate, frequencies of noise, frequencies of electromagnetic radiation and – the vast majority of people throughout civilization, right? Because we only only really recently started understanding magnetism. And uh, if I could quote ICP, uh, don't do it. A lot of people still aren't clear <laughs> on on what's going on with magnets. So most people, <laughs> such a good way to put it. Most people will just say, you know, if you hear something spooky, you're at this. You're at this graveyard or you're at this place where people are repeatedly citing strange phenomenon and you experience it yourself, a lot of people aren't going to instantly turn into some sort of Vulcan and go, well, logically, a lot of people are going to like either run or take out their camera or freak out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wonder if there's a, I wonder if there's such things as good places. You know, there are a couple here in the Atlanta area that are rumored to be like that. Uh, there's a spot in Arabia Mountain, which is, fun fact, also a location, uh, part of the filming location, Pet Cemetery too. Really? Yeah. Arabia Mountain's an interesting place. You go and it feels like you're almost on the moon. Like there are these bizarre craters that support some kind of – do you know the specifics of the type of um, – That lichen. Ecosystem. Yeah, like it's, a, it's a lichen. It's, yeah. it's like red. Yeah. It makes the water red. So there are all these pools of blood red uh, water mm -hmm. with – 
mossy kind of fuzzy little ecosystems within them. Um, and it's, a, and it looks like nothing, nowhere else I've ever been in my life. If you're and, ever in Atlanta area, I'd really recommend yeah, going. And little cairns, little stacks of rocks. So I, wait, is it, is it cursed the it, area there or is it a good place? Uh, well, it seems to be usually a bad place okay. uh, because the reports we would always, always hear were that um, it had a higher than average incidents of violent crime, which again could just be the location. Uh, it's a very old, old place. It's uh, part of the fourth largest basaltic extrusion, uh, which it's it's also part of the same gigantic chunk of basaltic rock that formed Stone Mountain, which is another fairly odd Atlanta attraction. And yeah, like Noel said, the the plants there seem completely almost completely alien, you know, and, and it does feel like you're on the moon. Uh, there were some very dodgy murders there in the 70s. You can see where at the site of one death, someone wrote the Lord's Prayer in white paint. And I remember going there many years ago to have seen somebody scrawling it out in black paint and writing, he can't hear you. Yeah. And I don't know who stacks those rocks. But anyway... It's it's a strange place and it's easy – it's surprisingly easy to get lost there too. Mm -hmm. But for people who believe in very good places or very bad places or very spiritual places, uh, we would like to hear what you think. If you think that's real and if you think there's a reason behind it, whether that reason is scientific or spiritual, uh, you know, we have – you know, we've heard stuff before about ley lines or other geomagnetic theories. Uh, we've also heard arguments about things like altitude affecting mm -hmm. someone's perception or sea level. It's a pretty fascinating thing. I got a couple additional details about the uh, Elisa Lamb case that are, are quite troubling. We may want to cut this out, guys, but um, – Apparently, she was in the tank long enough that her remains contaminated the drinking water and bathing water for the hotel. And some guests reported, you know, having drank drank it that, it, that it, yeah. something wrong was what thought that was the taste was off. Yeah, that's one of the big uh, back and forths that people have had in the years since, because we know there was definitely water pressure, but. If there's a decomposing – it was what they call mar, uh, moderately decomposed body. So that means it's bloated, it's greenish, it's – you know, it is contamination. So yeah, those people in those – in this place with hundreds of rooms, you're right, Noel. They probably drink it. And mm. we, we didn't have I, – I couldn't find any reports uh, that – confirmed any illness from that but statistically it's very very likely that that happened because these are this was a matter of weeks you know uh and and finally um the uh, parents lisa lamb's parents actually filed a lawsuit a negligence lawsuit against the hotel but a judge in los angeles threw it out claiming that the death could in no way have been considered foreseeable um entirely because of the conditions that we described in order to get into that tank she would have had to scale quite a few 
treacherous uh, situations, including a ladder to get up to the ledge above it because there were no accessible ladders on the tanks themselves and then would have had to scale down a partial wall that Mm -hmm. was above the tank or just jumped off of the Mm -hmm. roof onto the top of the tank. Mm -hmm. And um, there was nothing – according to the judge's ruling, that would have made it inviting in any way or made it seem like it was okay to be there. Everything pointed to this person having done this themselves, which I think is what makes this case so very, very creepy to me. And also, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the most painful things about something like this is when someone is gone, you know, and... and, if your child is gone, then that's the beginning of something that is going to continue for years and maybe never ends. And they have to go to the to this courtroom to stand in front of these strangers to say, you know, people shouldn't die when they go to your hotel. Our daughter shouldn't die. And it's and it's tough. You know, I do not envy the judge. Well, there, there's always a need to find answers, mm-hmm. and sometimes that leads to a sense for retaliation right. against a perceived enemy. You and, know, yeah, an antagonist. And, an antagonist. Um, but we should also mention that you know bipolar disorder manifests itself across a very large spectrum. I mean, right. I've known people that were considered bipolar, and these behaviors, these manic episodes, followed by these depressive episodes, they're really mild and it's very manageable. But Mm -hmm. given a further trip down that spectrum, you could find yourself in a place where you'd be driven to do something like this. Where your perception of your environment and reality takes takes a hard left. It's it's a very serious thing and it does have a spectrum and it does have degrees. And especially if you – depending on what cocktail you have running through your body – Mm-hmm. Of drugs, right, and so that's that's a good point too. There is an autopsy report that you can find in PDF form online, and this this thing has some good news. There was a hair and fingernail kit done, no evidence of physical trauma nor of sexual assault. They also found no evidence. This is interesting that would suggest Lamb had committed suicide. So. That's why it's ruled as an accidental drowning and they do cite bipolar disorder as a significant factor. They also found her clothes that she's wearing in the elevator video floating in the water beside her uh, coated with a – I'm quoting here – sand-like particulate. Not mm. sure where it came from. And her watch and room key were there to toxicology tests were done on her blood and they found – Uh, traces of her prescription medication. She was on a long list. uh, She had had a long history of taking medication. It's probably a better way to say it. Uh, She also had non-prescription drugs like Sinitab, ibuprofen. Uh, She had 0.02% alcohol in her blood, but there were no recreational drugs in her system. And I mean 0.02% is like a beer. Yeah. You know? Well, it's The body is also breaking down at this point. That's true. And so how long was it before that she was was discovered, just to make that clear one more time? Uh, Yes. So from February 1st to February 19th. So – About two weeks. Yeah. Well, between two and three weeks, yeah. And the 
full autopsy report was released four months later in June. Uh, but on February 21st, the coroner's office ruled it an accidental drowning. There are so many unexplained things mm-hmm. that occur- that occurred that night and then from that date up until she was found and even now, today. Mm-hmm. And there are so many ideas about what this could be, about what could have happened. Some of them even veer into this spooky maybe. I mean, almost a sense that there were some occult activity going on. Some of the message boards and various postings and sort of more conspiracy-oriented forums and groups that I've seen, um, you know, talk about this case in the same breath as Aleister Crowley, the kinds of summoning rituals that he would have done with these hand movements, the tuts that we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier, or um, with the uh, possession, the demon possession kind of Mm -hmm. versions of the story, with this being a bad place, very much like the movie Pet Cemetery, which came up unrelated to this, actually, we're talking about locations of the filming, but yeah. you know that had to do with a location that was built on the soil, the sour, you know, tainted ground, tainted yeah. ground. Yeah. Richard Ramirez also uh, was a practicing uh, occultist. He practiced uh, what he considered to be left-hand path magical rituals. And this is something that I think is thrown around far too often. But another thing that seems to pop up a lot about this case is that this is an example of some sort of Illuminati ritual exposed to the public um, in a way that perhaps the ones perpetrating it wouldn't have wanted to happen. So let's continue down this path, this rabbit hole. Let's look at uh, some more extraordinary theories regarding this incident after a quick word from our sponsors. One of the strangest accounts that we read, one of the strangest theories we found uh, regarding the events on the night of February 1st, January 31st, 2013, was an urban legend that originated in Korea, and it is called The Elevator Game. This is completely speculative. We have not played this game. I don't know if we would want to. I cannot wait to do this. The idea, I I would rank this in the old um, daring your friends to do stuff games that so many people play growing up, turning off the lights, saying... Bloody Mary several times in a mirror. Candyman. Right, Candyman. So the idea is that by performing a certain ritual in an elevator, a very specific one, you will arrive at a slightly off-kilter plane of existence. And I'll read some stuff from just the account of the elevator game. According to people that have completed the game successfully, it looks the same as the town and building that you're from when you emerge, but all the lights are off. You can only see a red cross in the distance. You're the only living thing in this plane, and for the most part, electronics don't work. If you manage to get to this strange place, returning to the real world is more difficult. You will grow disoriented. The elevator door will seem to grow further and further away as you walk toward it. Only one person can play the game at a time. It can only be performed in a building at least 10 stories high with at least one elevator in it. Otherwise, you cannot proceed. 
and they have the instructions for traveling. And we don't have to go through all of this, but one of the ideas would be you enter the, well, the basic steps. Mm -hmm. You enter the elevator from the first floor by yourself. If anyone else gets on, you cannot continue the ritual and you have to wait until you can take the elevator alone. You press the button for the fourth floor. When it reaches the fourth floor, you stay inside the elevator and press the button for the second floor. Don't get out when you reach the second floor. Stay in and press the button for the sixth floor. And then after that, don't get out, remain in the elevator, go back to the second floor. And once you reach the second floor, press the button for the 10th floor. And if you hear anything calling to you on the second floor, do not reply, don't answer. And then once you're, so it's very intricate, right? This pattern of buttons, right? Mm -hmm. So once you reach the 10th floor, stay on and press the button for the fifth floor. This is the creepy part. They say that when you enter the when you when you get to the fifth floor after you've done this series of buttons, a woman will enter a, a stranger, uh, a, a strange woman will enter the elevator and she'll try to talk to you, and you can't acknowledge them. She might. This person might even appear as someone you are familiar with, according to the legend, mm, an old high school friend or mm -hmm. coworker. Uh, and then you press the – it's important that you don't look at this person at all. And if you press the button to head to the first floor, this is when you know the ritual worked correctly because you'll push the button for the first floor. And instead of going to the first floor, you go to the 10th. You start going up. And then if you reach the 10th floor, you can stay on or exit the elevator. Uh, some have said that when they are trying to leave, the woman will try one last time to engage with you. She may raise your voice. She may shriek at you. Uh, there's only one way to know whether you travel to the other world for sure. You will be the only living thing there. And then they have instructions to get back to the um, get back to the actual world, our world. Uh, and they're 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 pretty detailed. So this has all the makings of an urban legend, right? Yes, it has all the tropes. It has a um, it has the the fear of strangers. It has the importance of ritual and rule following. It has anonymity in authors. It has no specific examples of times that this occurred. So uh, the best way for you and I and everyone else to find out whether this works would be to attempt it here. We cannot attempt it in our office because our office is not 10 stories. It only goes up to seven. So that would be a different ritual. Uh, uh, really fast, along with these things that you're listening off about, what makes it an urban legend, uh, one issue here is that Electronics, most electronics don't seem to work or for the most part mm, don't work, good point. which, you know, you try and film this so you can put it on YouTube and show yourself going to an alternate plane. Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably not going to happen because your electronics don't work. Also, you need to be alone. And would that violate one of the rules by having a camera, which is in some way an infinite number of viewers? Yeah. But how about this, fellas? 
Another thing about urban legends is that they're, you know, cobbled together from bits of things that may or may not be true. The thing you end up with is sort of the product of a a game of telephone played over generations sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. What if a story like this, what if there was some truth to it? What if the procedure outlined here is not exactly right? What if someone really had the right way of doing this and did involve an elevator? Maybe it involved some strange hand gestures. Maybe it involved... Mm -hmm you know, pressing a certain row of buttons all the way. And maybe there's an apparition of some sort in that elevator footage that is being communicated with in some way. I mean, I don't usually go for this kind of stuff, but this story really got my imagination going. And I can't help but think of that Tumblr image that was posted after Alyssa Lamb's death, so long after, of a single light bulb with another world contained inside, mm-hmm. hanging from a string against a drab backdrop. It just kind of represents to me this idea of a different world going to a different place. Yeah, that you know, that's a very good point, Noel. It also it also calls to mind our discussion about rituals and grimoires, you know, the idea that maybe there is a real ritual and it it just isn't specifically explained correctly. And we do know the one thing that escapes a lot of people about folk tales and fairy tales. Sure, it's easy to dismiss them. But like Noel said, with the game of telephone for generations, these are cobbled from very, very old, old stories. All uh, So many of those urban legends that you may hear about UFOs began as stories of gods and mountains and evil spirits or fairies or fae. And so this likely does have the DNA, you might say, of, of something else. And the way that the way that they associate the people who believe the this elevator game theory, the way they associate it is with exactly as you pointed out, the button pushing and the deliberate seeming motions that this person takes. But I wonder if anybody has thought about the point that you made, which I don't think I've heard. I think this is the first time I've thought about it, mm-hmm. the light bulb image. Uh, not to poke holes in the theory too much, but Elisa Lamb, at least according to the video, never travels on the elevator. She ah. stays on one floor. And I'm glad you brought that up because people who claim to be video editor experts have controversial views about that. And this is where I want to defer to you guys, to your expertise. Do you think the video is edited? I know the timestamp is obscured in the original because several people watched it and said that it was edited for people who are not, you know, pursuing some kind of uh, supernatural or extraordinary explanation. The people who think there is a conspiracy perhaps on the part of the hotel or perhaps even on the LAPD, on the LAPD's end, uh, they say that there was someone else visible on the camera, but time had been cut out or spliced. And I, and I wanted to know what, what you guys think of that. The biggest thing for me in watching it is I cannot find a good enough rip of the original one. The... The video that's posted under, what is it, Dennis Romero, Mm -hmm. 
that's the one with 17 million views that we were talking about. And that's obviously the most commonly viewed one just from the numbers. But it is so pixelated and everything – like the numbers at the bottom with the time code or what I'm assuming is time code on the bottom left-hand corner. Uh -huh. It's just – it looks strange to me. Ooh. And it's so low quality that it would be very hard to determine whether or not this thing was affected in post somehow to look in a certain way um, because you could manipulate the contents of this imagery fairly easily. Okay. So in that case, it's sort of inconclusive. That's what I would say. Okay. What, what do you think, Noel? It wasn't anything that would have been easy to edit that actually hit me about it. It was just more the way she moved, you know? It was like the way she the, – the things that she did. So you, are you saying that like it may have been – there may have been parts of it that were edited out? Perhaps right. where the elevator was in motion where she did get on and took the elevator to another floor or someone else did at some point get on the elevator with or her. Or appear on camera. And then the numbers down here that it, it appears to be a time code that's in white as the primary color and then there's either a drop shadow or a black background on top of the numbers. And that's generally not what you see in time code. Perhaps it is for this uh, system that's used in the hotel. But it looks strange to me as someone who works with video on a daily basis. Why does it matter whether it moved or not? Um, I guess – for more information on her travels, like whether she was truly alone. And, you know, if that if it was available to the police, then they would know and that would be part of the investigation, yeah. hopefully. And I'll, I'll put on my uh, I'll put I'll put on my Jonathan cap here for a second, too, and say that the one one of the, the people believe that the video was edited as some sort of conspiracy. Maybe if there was a if there was a murder and it was someone at the hotel or something, the um their idea is that it was edited to cut that person off from appearing on camera. However, we should also point out that even unto the idea of door locks and stuff, this is kind of a seedy hotel or a budget hotel, mm -hmm. right? And it's got a lot of history, but also it's not as likely to follow procedures to a T, including stuff like elevator maintenance. So if it's an older elevator, it could just be malfunctioning. I don't know if that's the case. I haven't talked to the elevator maintenance guy. I haven't checked their paperwork from 2013, but that does seem to be a possibility. If someone were to be murdered in a hotel, is the hotel liable to the family of the victim? That's a really good question. I guess it would only be through if it were through negligence. So if we were I don't want to use us for example, who are other coworkers? <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> okay, sure. Oh, Jonathan. Oh, he's going to love this episode. All right. So if Jonathan were in, uh, were in a hotel room and he invited guests over and one of – let's keep his hands clean. One of his friends murdered another one of his friends in an argument over the Renaissance Festival. Clue style. Clue style. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Clue style. Uh, it was Admiral Von Battenborough in Unit 124. With the chopsticks. With the chopsticks. Okay. Yeah. I knew you were there. Oh, that's brutal. Von Battenborough is a very brutal man, uh, even when he's out of character. Well, what would happen then 
as I think the – and I'm not a lawyer. I think the hotel would not be responsible because they on their part did nothing wrong to assist that. If you are at a hotel, you can usually bring guests. And if the hotel's rooms and units are up to code in terms of safety and everything, then there's nothing wrong. If they – if it could be proven that – the person at the counter, let's say our coworker Lauren was at the counter there as the uh, as the the clerk, and this Admiral von Vatbro guy said, hey, "I'm going up to Unit One Twenty Four. I'm going to uh, murder one of Jonathan Strickland's friends." And she didn't call the cops. Then she would be liable as an individual. But what about even if like an employee of the hotel gave someone information that uh, led to them finding someone that didn't want to be found, for example? Yeah. Like I just wonder. That's a really good point because that happens on both sides of the law. That happens when police are hunting down a missing person or someone who committed a crime and is on the run. But that also would happen you know, with uh, an abusive spouse or a hitman. That's a very good question. I, I'm interested. Uh, we should throw this to the listeners. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a history in the hospitality business, we would like to know uh, purely for informational purposes, right? No plans, right? Oh, no? yeah. No, no plans. Okay. <laughs> so we would like to know how how that legally works because a lot of hotels by the, by the mere – by their mere existence uh, as temporary housing could plausibly have any of the crimes that occur in a, in a permanent house occur there. Murder, assault, theft, kidnapping. And so at what point is the hotel liable? This is really making me rethink hotels, man. I know. Never, ever <laughs> stay at some place that you don't control. So, uh, really fast, this yes. video, I just I was looking back through it again as you guys yeah. are having that discussion. And at 2.56 in the time code of the Dennis Romero version, there is clearly, clearly a stop in the time code, pause in the video, and the door begins closing. That's one of the places that people – I went mm. through the comments. That's one of the places that people have noticed something is off. And you'll see a few instances of that where – you can clearly tell that whatever time code is generated at the bottom skips uh, a bit and or stops. Hmm. So is it possible then that it could be just a cut for time? Yeah. Is that, it possible that the uh, law enforcement just dispersed the most relevant part of absolutely possible twenty four hour footage? Yeah, yeah. But we won't know unless we were told that directly uh, by someone who was on the case. And there is one other theory, one final theory that we found that is a very strange coincidence. That's what I'm going to call this one, a okay. very strange coincidence. And it ultimately ties into or implicitly ties into the concept of human experimentation. When Elisa Lam was in California at this time, there was a – tuberculosis test occurring, a large-scale one. And the goals of this were to 
combat the rise of drug-resistant TB. Mm-hmm. It's a noble aspiration. It is a one that is important to the species as a whole. The official name of this test, of this project, was LAM ELISA, L-A-M-E-L-I-S-A. The same spelling of Eliza's na- uh, Eliza Lamb's name, Eliza Lamb the person. Because of this very strange coincidence, many people have speculated that the disappearance and, and death are somehow related. And because of this, uh, as well as some other problems with the autopsy report or, or cited controversies mm-hmm. with the autopsy report, uh, people believe that maybe this was the tip of an iceberg of another mass human experimentation. And as much as um, as much as we would, the three of us would like to say, no, that's crazy. That would never happen. We've looked at cases where the U.S. government conducted widespread and dangerous experiments on its own population in St. Louis, in uh, Southern California, in uh, they gave people syphilis or or excuse me, the official story is they just didn't treat syphilis. They looked at the effects. They looked at the effects. So we knew know that human experimentation occurs. However, what we also know is that the public tends to find out about this decades, decades later. And it's the old Ouija board argument, right? Like if there is a real – if there really is a way to contact the afterlife, is it in a mass-produced game by Parker Brothers and still no proof? Uh, if there is a um, – if there is a vast nefarious citywide or you know, large-scale secret human experimentation project, are they going to name it after one of the people involved? You know what I mean? That's like calling it – that's like Matt Frederick having a human sacrifice ring operating in Arabia Mountain in the 70s and then having uh, – putting out a public notice about Matt Frederick's top secret human sacrifice ring. The sacrifice-human ring. Right. Or – yeah, right. Dot org. It's mm-hmm. a nonprofit. So that – Coincidence, while strange with the information we have now, it's tough to call it anything else. And at this point, it seems like um, the majority of people believe that this was a very unfortunate, tragic, heartbreaking incident that happened completely involving Eliza Lamb on her own. However, we would like to know what you think. Are the questions that people are posing, um, are they utter bunk? Are they malarkey? Is there something more to the story? And while you're at it, uh, what other unexplained disappearances or deaths would you like us to explore in the future? Let us know what you think. And speaking of hearing from you, what do you say, guys? Should we do shout out corners? Our first shout out goes to Jacob, uh, also known as Honcho. Honcho underscore one. Is mm-hmm. it is it all right that I said that, Jacob? I hope so, because I did. Uh, have you guys ever looked into UN 
Agenda 21. Oh, yes, we have, sir. Supposedly, quote, the naked communist ties in with it. I had a human growth and development professor that made us watch the documentary Agenda Grinding America Down. Hmm. Hmm. Well, we have covered Agenda 21 in video form. You can find that on our YouTube channel or at Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Dot com, mm-hmm. the best URL in the history of the internets. And this is this has to do with food production and well, there's a lot of stuff that goes yeah. into Agenda 21. It's characterized as a sustainable uh, – as a voluntary action plan for sustainable development, which means that uh, they're hoping to combat poverty. They're hoping to – create uh, more more legal protection for environmental concerns, deforestation, biodiversity, controlled pollution, etc. Opponents of it say – typically say that this is removing sovereignty uh, and agency from individual countries and this is a huge – this is a huge document. It's 350 pages. It's 40 chapters long. Yeah. I have – I am always surprised when someone has read the entire thing Uh, and it's not too popular in the US. Well, here's the best way to say it, Honcho. A June 2012 poll of 1,300 U.S. voters found that 9 percent of the people supported it, 6 percent of it, 6 percent opposed it, and 85 percent said they didn't have an opinion because they, they didn't, didn't know what it is because they didn't have enough information. And I'm going to check out the documentary you recommended, "Grinding America Down." I have not seen that yet. Have you guys seen that? I have not, but you know, just from the research I had done previously. With you guys on this, uh, I don't look at Agenda Twenty One kindly too much because I, it does feel like there's maybe something to it that gets in. I don't want to say gets into eugenics too much. It's def- population control. I, it feels that way to me, even though that's not stated anywhere, right? In any in any of the documents that, that are official, it just has that feeling. That's. Uh, the way I view it currently, the main the main criticism I've heard in the West against uh, Agenda Twenty One is the idea that it is creating a global order and and or a global dictatorship. So you'll hear a lot of a lot of people say that it is um, eroding American sovereignty. Yeah, it's like twenty four years old now, twenty five years old almost. Oh, how time flies. How time flies when you have big plans, right? Yeah. Thank you for writing in, Hancho. Uh, we have another shout-out. Our second shout-out of the day comes from Riker C. Dear Conspiracy, hey, how's it going, guys? I'm a truck driver, so for around 11 hours a day, I pretty much do anything I can to fight off the boredom. Um, You guys, along with Stuff You Should Know team, really make my day a lot easier, and I've been binge listening a lot of your stuff lately. I've been skipping around a lot, but today I listened to your episode on the Fermi Paradox, and I know I'm incredibly late on this, but I wanted to add something that I thought would surprise you that you guys did not discuss. 
In our solar system, the sun takes up about 99.9% of the matter here. Of the remaining 0.1%, Jupiter takes up about 70% of that. Uh, in our own solar system, we're basically nothing. Imagine how hard that minuscule amount of matter would be to pick up on various equipment. Hmm. Um, yeah. If it even showed up at all. It could be attributed to a rounding error. Uh, it's entirely likely that an intelligent life form visited our solar system in a search for life but just looked us over as a computing error. Just wanted to offer up another explanation on the subject. It was one of my favorite episodes. You guys are great. And for my sanity's sake, please keep up the awesome work. Also, do you guys ever plan on doing any kind of work with Aaron from the Lore podcast? Your cryptid stuff is really interesting and it would be a dream come true to hear that you guys are guest starring or he's guest starring. Well, that's cool. We're actually uh, going to be on a bill with Lore uh, yeah. at the uh, – New York City Pod Fest, uh, April 9th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. So maybe we can uh, make make friends. Yeah, with Aaron. yeah. Uh, technically, we can say that we are in a show. With yeah, them, technically, uh, that's a that's that's a pretty pretty great idea. Maybe we should maybe we should write to him see if he wants to hang out. And not to mention the computing error stuff. I mean, I think that is interesting. If yeah. you're looking, if you're monitoring, you know, big picture stuff from far, 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 far away, it's true yeah. that we are a bit of a speck. We're yeah. a blue, tiny blue speck. We are not near as important as we think we are. That is pretty much the story of human history, <laughs> right? Jeez. But the uh, the I really appreciate that, and uh, don't feel bad. Don't don't feel bad about being uh, quote unquote late, Riker. That's that's awesome. That's a point that. I personally didn't consider at all, you know, and mm -hmm. it probably works both ways, right? Because if there's another planet around the same size, right, even if it's a very advanced uh, advanced civilization, our odds of finding it with our comparatively rudimentary equipment are even more infinitesimal. It's a big world. It's a big universe. Jeez. It makes so you big. think. Also, big shout out to your parents, Riker, uh, for naming you that, or you, if you changed your name. How, however, it got there. It, maybe it's just a moniker, but cool name. Yeah, these are these are all great names. Yeah, Honcho, Jacob. Riker. It's Jacob. I like Honcho. <laughs> all right, sorry, sorry, Jacob. Uh, I think both of your names are awesome. It's just Honcho seems like such a cool, like street name. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I'd roll with Honcho. Yeah, I'd roll with Honcho too. Uh, We've got another shout-out for today uh, from somebody else who has uh, an awesome name. It is Miranda S. Uh, hey, guys. Absolutely love the show. Been a fan for years and so happy you guys do audio podcasts now as well. I was wondering if maybe you guys could do an episode about the deep web. Maybe you did already. Not sure. Also, vile magic slash satanic sects would be an interesting subject, as would the science behind chaos magic and sigils or their relation to psionic manifestation as a whole. Anyway, keep up the great work. You guys help me breeze through my work day. Uh, Miranda, we uh, we do we're we're in luck. We do, in fact, have an episode on the deep web on the on the basics of it. Um, and you can also check out some. Uh, I feel like we have to we have to play nice with our coworker Jonathan at the end of this episode. Yes. You can also check out some of the episodes he has about the deep web, which are great. And uh, my favorite one, yeah. uh, personally, that we've done is the interview with Alex Winter, who mm -hmm. made a uh, documentary called "The Deep Web" or yes. "Deep Web." Yeah, we uh, we did have an interview with him. Very very cool guy. Very knowledgeable as mm -hmm. well. Uh, 
we on the on the subject of magic, satanic sex or chaos magic and sigils. And to be clear, S E C T S. Yes. Yes, yes. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> uh on on that point, there are we we've done some work on magic in the past and we we really I I think we have uh, a wealth of strange opportunities when it comes to examining specific uh specific occult sects. Like uh you know, Noel earlier mentioned Aleister Crowley and uh and we were talking about occult theories in this episode and I'd love to delve into the great beast at least conversationally yeah Uh, and so we'd like to follow up on that for now this concludes and this also concludes today's episode of the stuff they don't want you to know podcast one more thing, though. Oh, Noel. my God. Matt! I know. Oh, I, come if, on. I'm if, out of coffee. If you guys are interested in that elevator ritual that we were discussing earlier, there is an Oculus Rift experience called the Elevator Ritual, wherein you get into an elevator and you do the steps where you go up to the second floor. And, or no, you go up to the fourth floor, then second, sixth, second, eighth, second. You do the whole thing, and there may or may not be an ethereal woman involved. Uh, but it sounds exciting. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can have that. I don't have an access to an Oculus, so I can't really do it. I but, think uh, the thing is, Noel and I are not the guys in horror movies who go, "What was that noise? I'm gonna check it out." <laughs> See, that's me though. I don't. I don't even want to go to like haunted houses and stuff. Like you know, the, the, the produced ones. Not gotcha. Never been to one. Don't plan on changing that anytime soon. I prefer to be the thing hiding in the dark, waiting. Yeah, no, you are that thing, Matt. Yeah. Believe in yourself, man. <laughs> we have, you know, it's it's strange the haunted houses thing. It's just never been my cup of tea. I would, I would. Uh, I like control. I'm a control freak. Well, I just, I, I, you know, I'm glad that people are having fun. And on a technical level, I'm sure the makeup is impressive. But I live in Atlanta. If I want to run through a sketchy area and have people jump out and try to grab me, then I can just walk there. There you go. <laughs> so what do you say, Matt? Can we end the show now? I think we can. Is that okay? I, I give you permission. Oh, thanks, buddy. Even though I have no permission to give. You're my favorite. And I'm painfully aware of that. No, uh, we're we're mostly kidding. We are all actually friends who hang out outside of the show. And that reminds us, if you happen to be in New York, uh, we're going to put together some kind of hangout thing there in April. So... Uh, let us let us know if you're in town. We'll have more details coming soon. You can find them, as long as many other stories that don't make it to air, on our Facebook and Twitter, where we're conspiracy stuff. On our Instagram, uh, with that has some really cool pictures up presently uh, from DC, courtesy of Noel. We're conspiracy stuff show on that, and if none of that pushes your buttons, uh, you can write to us directly. Remember, let us know about mysterious disappearances we should investigate in the future. Let us know your thoughts on some of the theories you heard today. And if you want to write something completely random, we'd love to read that too. We are. Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com.